I was expecting you. Today, tomorrow, yesterday. It was only a matter of time. Welcome to John Adams High, where you are gonna die, that's right. Hey, little bro, life's tough, get a helmet. They just shot the neighbor! The banger! Well, Sean, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but you're kind of a babe. The Secret of Life by Plays with Squirrels. Underpants. Mr. Feeney? Mr. Feeney! I love the Feeney call. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Feeney Podcast. We are nearing the end of this season. It is both exciting and sad, but we are looking forward to it, really hitting our groove as the show has. I am Josh, and with me is my co-host, Jacqueline. Hi. What's going on? Chilling. Talking about Boy Meets World. Cool. Let's do it. No need to delay. <laughs> Our listeners are here for one reason and one reason only, and that's to escape the real world and enter the Boy Meets World world. I think you can just call it the Boy Meets World. The Boy Meets World. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that's different than the Girl Meets World. Oh, yes. It's different. Completely different. One quick thing, in the last episode, we obviously saw a family heirloom, Alan's Golden Gloves, passed down from him to Corey. They were then given back, but eventually they will be given to Corey as a a, a Mm hand-me-down item. And uh, you asked whether there were any items that I had. And one thing I really forgot, which I think definitely counts in this, is my dad's journals. may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but he's kept a journal pretty much every day for you know, 40 years or so, maybe even longer than that. And that is really like his legacy and everything that's ever happened to me in my life and all of that, uh, I would definitely squarely put into that field of of passing down uh, a family heirloom. So you just are doing this so your dad doesn't get mad at you for forgetting to mention that. Yeah, I'm well, I should have mentioned it. It just didn't come to my mind. But yes, I fully anticipate him sending a message as soon as he hears that saying the other journals blah, blah, blah. so he still <laughs> well, will do that because he won't hear this by then but at least i can have it on the record that i've mentioned it before i hear from him right i understand why it didn't pop into your mind because like something like a necklace or a buck knife those sort of have like implied like they're only valuable because someone says it's important to them you know like yeah but a journal, like it has its own value because it's full of words. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's not important because your dad is like, these were important to me. It's important because it's like his he wrote them. I don't know. It just seems different. But like, yes, I think it applies. But I also understand why it didn't immediately jump to your mind is what I'm trying to say. I appreciate the support there. I will sick him on you as well. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. All right. So that was the only thing I had from last episode. Anything you want to add before we jump in? No, I'm ready for new stuff only. Cool. All right. I'm not sure I understand the title of this next episode, so maybe you can help me there. But hit us with the summary of The Plays the Thing. The Plays the Thing, Boy Meets World, Season 1, Episode 20, aired April 29th, 1994, directed by David Trainer. TV Guide says... Corey gets cast as Hamlet in the school play, but when he thinks the material is too soft, he quits. That was a pretty good one, and I 
actually struggled a bit with writing my own synopsis because there was sort of a lot going on in this episode, but uh, there was almost like two subplots and one main plot. I don't know. But anyway, here's what I wrote. Feeney chooses Corey to play Hamlet in the school play, but when Feeney refuses to let Corey rewrite the entire script, Corey selfishly quits. Despite being a terrible actor, Minkus is recast as Hamlet and attempts to do the role with varying annoying accents. Cool. So like the original summary, you are just going to focus on the main plot and not focus on the chaos happening in the Matthews household. Correct. It was too chaotic. And while it did kind of go in tandem with the main plot, as it as it does, it was just too much to try to summarize in a succinct way. Yeah, this is one of the episodes where it seemed like the writers really struggled in figuring out a way to tie the home life back into the same lesson that Corey would be learning in school. And instead of just like completely keeping it separate, they just jammed a bunch of stuff in together to make it mimic what was happening. Yeah, it sort of was, it was jam-packed. Like I said, there were sort of three plots. There's like this Corey being in the play plot. Then there's his dad having pay cuts at work plot. And then there's like a mini golf family annual tournament plot. And it all like loosely ties together, but um, not as neatly as some past episodes. Yeah, that's well put. So we'll kind of dive into how all of those things connect here. But we start in the classroom and Mr. Feeney kind of anticipates the collective groan from everyone and tells them to get their groan out. And of course the groan when they hear that they're going to be doing the class play uh, is much louder than the original one. But Feeney tries to really sell that this play is going to be fun because there are sword fights and murder and ghosts and all of these fun things. And it really piques everyone's attention. It does. And you asked about the title of the episode and I forgot to um, to answer your question about that. And it ties in beautifully right here because the play that Feeney is enticing everyone with is Hamlet. Spoiler alert. And the plays the thing is a line from Hamlet. Aha. Very good. I suppose I could have figured that out on my own. Well, it's sort of, it's a line from Hamlet, but it's used a lot like in the theater community, like outside of the context in that line. It's just sort of like turned into its own phrase. Awesome. Thank you for that. So we've revealed the play they're going to be doing selective scenes from Hamlet. Obviously this sixth grade class cannot do the entire Hamlet play. Uh, I can still barely read Shakespeare and understand what he's saying, let alone a bunch of sixth graders. Hamlet's probably a little advanced for sixth graders, so some selective scenes definitely make sense. Yeah, I didn't catch that the first time I watched the episode, and I was like, how the heck are they making these 12-year-old kids do Hamlet? And then the second time I watched it, I realized that he was saying selected scenes. But still, kind of tough material. I was disappointed that we never at any point got Corey referring to to Shakespeare as like Billy Shakespeare or something. Oh, yeah, Bill. <laughs> Bill Shakespeare. Disappointing. Missed opportunity, if you ask me. Yeah, missed opportunity for sure. And in typical classroom fashion, while the play will feature everyone in the classroom, Mr. Feeney only decides to announce who will be playing four roles. Uh, <laughs> I bet you can guess which four characters he mentions. Yes, no kidding. 
He, uh, this is a great opening scene, but I did think to myself like, wow, he just totally made a huge to-do about announcing the roles of Minkus, Sean, Corey, and Topanga, and we have no idea who any of the other kids in class, what their roles are. <laughs> nope, and I'm assuming there's someone more important than Spear Carrier, which is what Sean right. gets assigned to initially. Well, so. Right, that's what's so absurd, is they're missing like some main characters, like, but we know who the Spear Carrier is. <laughs> Yeah, so Sean's a spear carrier. Topanga's going to play Ophelia, who goes insane, which is right up Topanga's alley. No no other justification needed for that one. And we get maybe the first time that Topanga says an unkind word to somebody in the entire series. It is definitely the first time that Topanga, like, breaks character at all. Not breaks character, but, like, yeah, like is sort of acting like a quote-unquote normal kid. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Feeney says, Miss Lawrence, you will be playing the tragic heroine Ophelia. Now, this is a challenging role. She goes quite insane. Topanga insane? What a stretch. <laughs> if I were a less evolved person, I'd say cram it, Brillo head. <laughs> yeah, she does preface it with saying if i was a less evolved person right. i would say so she does qualify the insult but it still is an insult and uh you know it's even funnier that like way back when when we first meet topanga it's because she is praising Corey for his hair and that you know looks on the outside don't mean anything so it's it's kind of funny that she brought this particular thing back in the insult well it's actually very cold and calculated because she knows that he's very insecure about his hair so she picked uh the one thing that she knew would really cut to the core of him. Yeah, for sure. So wrapping out, we then get Minkus. He's going to play Polonius, and he's not happy about it. He wants to play the lead character. It's it's in this episode I, that I really start to realize that Minkus is is actually a genius. Like th- he's not just a smart kid in class. The amount of knowledge he has about these topics that I have to like go back and look up. He is just truly brilliant. He's also the heel, though, and despite his brilliance, they play him like a total chump in this episode. Yeah, he he gets shit on by everyone, including Mr. Feeney, pretty hard in this yeah. episode, and the end of Minkus's insight. We'll get to all of those insults coming up, but Minkus says, you know, he's upset. He wants to play the the Dane, the lead man, and... Uh, And then Mr. Feeney goes into his description of what this character is. Yeah, he says, Hamlet gets on a lot of people's nerves. He makes one stupid mistake after another. And for five acts, he never shuts up. And at this (laughs) point, everyone has completely turned around in their seats and everyone is staring at Corey, who's completely oblivious. And then it is revealed that uh, and Feeney drops the script on his desk. So we know Corey is Hamlet, which very bold choice on Feeney's part choosing your most like non-compliant student to play the lead role yeah the gamble is worth it in his eyes so he sets that up for everyone and that's our opening scene really really good like jam-packed lots of good information and sets the stage for the rest of the scene yeah it was a good it was a good opening scene for sure made me chuckle so we're going to then switch roles all together and Corey's out in the backyard practicing some putt-putt for some sort of family goofy golf tournament down at the Jersey Shore, um, which w- makes sense because I would imagine that's a popular vacation spot for people in the Philadelphia area. 
It is indeed. Yes. And so we find out that this tournament is generally dad and Corey versus Eric and mom. And I guess uh, poor little Morgan just gets to be the spectator and watch. Yeah, it is revealed that they do this tournament every year and that Corey's Corey and Alan lose every single year. Um, from the conversations, it makes it sound like they get just get smoked by um, Amy and Eric year after year on their family vacation. Yeah, I, I put this together at the end because at the very end when they uh, come back to golf, they say that they've lost six years in a row and, and Eric's trying to make this the seventh win in a row. So if you do the math on that, like Corey's only six years old when this tournament starts. Like, of course, you're probably going to beat up on a guy if he's playing with a six-year-old when the brother's a few years older. So it seems like now is the time that's ripe for Corey to, to reign supreme. Yeah, but maybe they just play uh, best hole. Yeah, could be. Could be. So maybe the dad just sucks. Yeah, that's possible. God, I love mini golf so much. Definitely playing mini golf down at the beach uh, is a staple. Ocean City, Maryland, not to be confused with Ocean City, New Jersey, has a million mini golf spots to play at. Uh, Ocean City, New Jersey also has a lot of mini golf. I played mini golf there just last summer on the boardwalk. There you go. What was the theme? Uh, I think it was like a jungle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can't totally remember. Might have been pirates. Might have been jungle. There's always a pirates. There's always a jungle. There's always like an underwater adventure. They're all sort of like blending together in my brain. But uh, yeah, I just, I love mini golf. So the other thing in this scene is... Eric comes out and he's he announces that there's been a 5% pay cut at work. And so he's a little short on money and he needs some money and he goes to Corey because what better person to go to than family and says that for $5, he will throw the goofy golf tournament this year and let Corey and dad win. And Corey turns it down. He's like, oh, we don't, I've just hit this putt. Like, we don't need you to throw this. We're going to win anyway. And then Eric like sinks a big putt, but I'm curious as to whether you thought five dollars was a was enough money to to make this deal. Absolutely not. Yeah. What is he going to do with five dollars? Like Eric, have you no integrity? You're gonna th- you're gonna lose victory and cheat for five dollars. Yeah. I mean, he probably just wasn't gonna do it, but and he just wanted the five dollars, so he was just saying that he was gonna mm, do good that. Point. Because honestly, what would Corey have done if yeah. <laughs> if if Eric had like won and Corey would have been like, but you, I paid you $5 not to win. Then he looks like yeah. an idiot. It would have been like the VHS tape thing all over again. Good point. No, that's a very good point. I just like, yeah, my initial thought was what, Eric, like, what are you going to do with five? You're going to go like buy two milkshakes, like maybe. And yeah, it's not enough money to, to compromise your, your victory. Right. So that's how that starts, and we, we. This is how we learn about the golf tournament, and also how we learn about the five percent pay cut, uh, which will both come back. So we put that aside for a minute, and we are now in the classroom rehearsing the play. Yes, uh, Corey is being an absolute turkey about this play. He is blah blah blahing over his lines. He's hijacking the rehearsal, and for some reason, Feeney is entertaining all of his complaints about this play yeah he's letting Corey go on and on i've got a lot of i've got a lot of notes uh about this scene so this this one's gonna take a little while so first 
Corey's reciting probably the most famous Hamlet line in this scene. Would you agree with that? I don't even remember what he was saying. Was it the to be or not to be? It's the same scene that what's his name does in Billy Madison when he's doing the the play at the end. To be or not to be. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows, blah, blah, blah. To be or not to be. That is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing in them to die to no more. That's the foundation for all of my Hamlet knowledge because I never read it in schools. I feel like we need to do like a very quick synopsis of Hamlet. Hamlet is his father is dies. He is the prince. His mother is the queen. His father's dead. His uncle very quickly after his father's death marries his Mm -hmm. mother and becomes the king. And then the ghost of his father appears to him and tells him that he was murdered by his uncle and his uncle murdered him so that he could marry his wife and become the king. Oh, and the ghost also demands revenge. So now Hamlet is like, do I avenge my father because this ghost told me to? Or do I, or am I just crazy? Like, is this ghost even real? So he decides to uh, stage a play about the king being murdered by like a trusted family member to see if he can watch if his uncle acts guilty during the play. And that's when he says the play is the thing. And uh, then everyone dies. That's pretty much it. Everyone dies. So it is basically, I, I think the, the too long didn't read version of that is it's Hamlet is Lion King, except for people live at the end. Huh, Lion King. Let me think about that for a second. Yeah. It is Lion King. Yeah. 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 Kinda. So. Except Mufasa doesn't come back and demand revenge. Doesn't demand yeah. revenge, but he does guide Simba. That's so interesting. It, yeah, you know, it is It is a bit Lion king Yeah, that's, uh, I mean. Huh. I can't wait. God, Arthur is going to hear this and he is going to lose his mind and he is going to make both of us sit through some sort of Hamlet lecture. I just want you to be prepared. <laughs> I'd love because we are getting, we are probably getting this so wrong. <laughs> I would love to have him call in and and correct us on the record. Yeah. Um, all right, so good Hamlet synopsis there. Uh, again, reminds me of the Billy Madison scene <laughs> and of Howard <laughs> No more, no more. <laughs> um, and. We get like a who was this Shakespeare guy anyway, and we get Minkus. Here's really where like I think Minkus is some sort of savant genius because he subscribes to the Francis Bacon theory, which I had never really heard of. I knew there are theories around who Shakespeare is. Is he a collective of people? Was he a man? Was he somebody else writing under a pseudonym? And the Francis Bacon theory basically says that they thought that Francis Bacon actually wrote all this and that uh, writing these plays and these poems would harm his reputation and slow his rise to fame. So he had to use a uh, a pen name instead. Um, well, I recently watched a documentary called Shakespeare in Love starring Gwyneth Paltrow. 
And I the documentary yeah, can confirm that William Shakespeare was just a lovely, handsome man who wrote. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so did that confirm for you that Shakespeare was just an actor? He was an actual man. God, I have no idea. I didn't even really know that these theories existed. Yeah, there there are a lot of them. That the Francis Bacon one is not very widely accepted. It's been pr- debunked pretty pretty thoroughly. Uh, last year, Jamie and I, when we were in England, went to Stratford upon Avon to Shakespeare's hometown, and like the overwhelming evidence of of him being who he says he was is uh, is pretty pretty thorough. So Corey's obviously like he's bored. He doesn't want to do the Shakespeare play. He wants to do something more exciting with guns and killing and all of the stuff that Feeney promised him at the beginning. And he makes a reference to Die Hard when he says, like, let's set this thing in a burning skyscraper, uh, all of these things. My question to you is, if you remember back maybe just a couple of episodes ago, Corey had to sneak the R-rated movie on and got caught and got into a ton of trouble for watching an R-rated movie. How would he know about Die Hard if he's not allowed to watch R-rated movies? Wow, good question. Die Hard's rated R, I guess. Oh yeah. Uh huh. Maybe I guess he's been. Uh, guess he's been sneaking around. Maybe, <laughs> although we've seen his sneak skills, so it is hard to imagine. But uh, just a just a catch I had there that 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 is something maybe he would just be familiar with because of how big it was at the time. But I'm I can't imagine he's actually seen it. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mister Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, the worst part of this is, is Corey's like, can't I just stab someone already? And Feeney's like, yeah, you're about to stab someone. All you have to do is like read these lines. And then Corey's just like, Ugh, forget it. Can't I just have like a machine gun and whatever? And he's being insane. Yeah, the final straw for him is the costume. Topanga walks in and her dad had made costumes for her, which look hers looks great. And the one for... Uh, for Hamlet also looks pretty good, but Corey balks at the at the costume because it looks like a dress and and pantyhose. Yeah, it's it's basically like a tunic. I, Feeney calls it by its proper name. I don't remember what it is—a doublet or a something. Oh yeah, that sounds right. Uh, but anyway, Corey's like, "It's tights. I can't wear these," and he's freaking out. And uh, I have to say, these costumes look fantastic. I mean, these are high quality fabrics. The costume that you'll see Sean wearing later is like, man, this stuff is high qual. Yeah, they've got some good costume work. I don't know if we can attribute all of that to Topanga's dad or not, but uh, he does a nice job on those ones. And then we get a couple of just rude comments to round out the scene that were potentially funny at the time, but just didn't sit well for me. Yeah, just kind of sexist and like making fun of the fact that Topanga's dad sews. And uh, I think Feeney is just, going with the like kids will be kids and doesn't correct any of them on any of them meaning Corey or sean on how right it's terrible they're being uh so that would have been nice but whatever Corey continues to be a gigantic baby which i feel like i say in almost every episode and he quits the play yeah i quitteth uh he walks out he's not going to be subject to this i don't know whether this play is mandatory or if this is happening after school or whether it's part of school. Sometimes you would like rehearse these plays during class time and it was mandatory that everyone participates. It seems like Feeney's okay with him quitting. So maybe it is just an after school thing that is like, you know, encouraged but not required. It's it's tough to tell. 
I got the impression that this was during class. There were no auditions. Feeney assigned the roles to the kids in his class. I cannot imagine that quitting really was an option, but I guess Feeney is just sort of like letting this all play out. And Corey delusionally thinks that Feeney is going to give in to his demands to like rewrite the entire script of Hamlet. Like it really seems like Corey thinks like, well, he can't do the play without me. I'm the lead. So he's going to have to do what I want to do. Like I'm having trouble understanding what Corey's demands even are. He really wants Feeney to rewrite the script as Die Hard. Yeah, that and the costumes, I guess. He's he's offended by a lot of things, and he's going to stand on his principles. So he, like you said, quits. And uh, we cut to the hallway. Minkus is practicing his Hamlet. You know, Corey's literally on his high horse, and he's just like, well, he can't do anything without me. He's going to have to, like, change it up. And then he is very dismayed when he finds out that he's already been replaced by Minkus. Yeah, Minkus is practicing his Hamlet. We get a Snagglepuss reference. Yeah, Snagglepuss. Inconsiderate bounder indeed. Figaro, Figaro, Figaro. It figures. And Sean does a nice little impression. And basically, Minkus is here to show that he can take over the role. He knows all of the lines. He's He can play Hamlet and uh, then toys around with a Scandinavian accent, which... This may be Minkus's shining moment of the entire series. This scene exactly where he does the like Danish accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's horrible. I it's horrible and his shining moment. Oh, that's sad. Really shows his range. <laughs> it's terrible. He does this awful Danish accent, which I can I must imagine is very offensive to anyone from Scandinavia. Uh yeah, probably, but I can't imagine any of those people watch the show, so. <laughs> yeah, no, terrible accent, and... And it won't be his last terrible accent of the episode, folks. No, he really, he so really spirals. Buckle this is the up first and get in- ready to assail your ears, because it's going to get worse. It does. We put the play on pause for a minute. Corey's practicing for the golf tournament. He sinks 18 in a row outside. He's ready to capture the, the championship here. But he finds out that the tournament's been canceled, the trip down to the Jersey Shore has been canceled, uh, and that these pay cuts affected Corey's dad as well as all of the other workers. Unfortunately, Corey's logic here is dad's the boss. He can do whatever he wants. He doesn't have to take a pay cut and marches into the living room and is trying to tell his dad how he should handle things because now that he's quit the play, he's an expert on how to get what you want. Yeah, exactly. Corey's understanding of uh, the hierarchy of business is really, his lack of understanding, I should say, is really shining through here. He doesn't understand that his dad isn't the boss that can make all the decisions and that there are people above him. And and you're right, Corey is basically saying, you got to throw some weight around, fight for yourself, fight for your team. Like you got to stand up for what you believe in. And if they don't like it, you should just quit. And like, he's being ridiculous. He's, this is like maybe the second or third time he's tried to give his dad advice on something where he is very much not qualified to give advice. Um, And Alan and Amy are not taking this opportunity to like have a conversation with Corey and tell him like that this is not how things work. They're just like, 
Oh, isn't he funny and ignorant? Ha ha ha. Right. Yeah. They don't address it here. Uh, Amy basically just says later on when the, she catches Alan kind of up at night contemplating what he's supposed to do. And she says the trick to raising a 12 year old is just to ignore him. So you're right. They just kind of dismiss his his comments as like the ramblings of a kid. Right. But Alan is pretty rattled by what Corey says. He's for whatever reason, he's taking it to heart, probably because he's upset about the salary cuts and you know then Corey comes and is like telling him he's not handling it well and it got to him for whatever reason yeah maybe a little bit of truth in what Corey said which is like alan's now questioning whether he should stand up to his bosses and whether he is like doing an injustice to his employees for not fighting for them harder so maybe it just rings a little bit truer than he was hoping it would yeah so alan is up Amy finds him in the kitchen in the dark by himself and he's obviously got a lot on his mind. And then we have like a pretty funny Hamlet reference here. Amy tells Alan to, um, if he's going to go talk to the district manager about the pay cut, he needs to practice what he's going to say first. Cause he can't just walk in there and like go off the cuff and, and risk saying something stupid. So she hands him a cantaloupe from the fruit bowl and says, here, pretend this is, is his name Bob Williams? Yeah. Pretend this is Bob Williams and talk to him. So he's like holding the cantaloupe in his hand and talking to it. It's like the scene from Hamlet where he's holding the skull and talking to the skull. I totally missed that. I did not make that connection at all. Oh, really? Yep. Mm, Yeah. No, totally makes sense now. But I, yeah, that did not click for me at all. So thank you. (laughs) sure 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 but then uh the scene sort of escalates amy leaves alan's talking to this to the cantaloupe and uh then he throws the cantaloupe on the ground and just goes to bed and leaves it laying broken on the kitchen floor cantaloupe juice everywhere that's how you get ants oh is that what you want yep because that's how you get ants (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) I think we need to like point out the most egregious moment of the episode every episode because I'm I'm pretty sure there's been one every episode and for me this is it. Yeah, this is insane. <laughs> like, like you drop a melon on the floor and you literally just leave it there all night long and then let your wife come down and find it later and make her clean yeah. it up. Insane. And I know I was joking when I said it the first time, but that is really how you get ants. That's just ridiculous. Don't that's that's. That's so rude to your wife, and that's a waste of a perfectly good melon. I just can't even handle that. Egregious moment of the episode. (laughs) Uh, All right, so he leaves the melon the next day. Now, this is when we find out that because Corey has left, everyone's roles have shifted, and Sean gets upgraded to Polonius because Minkus has been upgraded to Hamlet, and Sean's rocking his uh, his cool new costume, full on belly suit, and he's pumped because he gets to have a dramatic death. Polonius, more like Bolonius. <laughs> yeah, he's wearing a fat suit, so Corey calls him Bolonius, which is actually pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And uh, some funny parts because Sean gets to die, and then. He says, Feeney says it's his favorite part of the play. This is where he's wearing the costume and it it is like top of the line. But first of all, if Corey had kept his role as Hamlet and Minkus had kept his role as Polonius, then 
Corey would have gotten to murder Minkus, which would have been very fun and satisfying. I can't believe that that wasn't enough to keep Corey in the play, knowing that he got to kill Minkus. Uh, so that's one. Two, because Polonius gets killed by Hamlet. Two, Sean is now like really invested in the play and he's really excited about it. And Corey's like, well, I want to go shoot hoops. And Sean's like, I have rehearsal. And Corey is, I think he's feeling sort of left out now that like Sean doesn't think the play is lame and now he's having FOMO. And Corey's like, well, forget it. Like just blow off rehearsal. And Sean says, I can't. There's a lot of people counting on me. And uh, he says that his dad is coming to see the play. Corey's like, your dad is taking off work just to come watch you die? And Sean's like, yeah, apparently this is something a lot of people really want to see. <laughs> <laughs> so like Feeney loves Sean's death scene. His dad is going to come cheer him on. Sean is just loving it right now. Yeah, they're going to sell this thing out just because of Sean's upgrade to Polonius so he can die. Uh, <laughs> Standing ovation. He says Minkus is really killing us. And, and Corey is like, all right, well, if Feeney backs down on the ballerina outfit, then, I'll, then I'm back in. Like, yeah. I don't care about the content anymore, but like, I'm not going to wear this ridiculous outfit. But but I'll, I'll, I'll be back in. And, uh, and Sean just kind of shakes his head. And then they head to rehearsal. Yeah, Sean is like, dude, you got to come back. Minkus sucks. And like, you can tell that Corey realizes now he's he's starting to realize that he made a mistake, because if Sean is actually having fun with this play, then probably Corey would be enjoying himself, too, which is I'm sure why Mr. Feeney picked Corey for Hamlet, because Corey loves being the center of attention. And I think. Mr. Feeney probably thought that Corey would be really good uh, at the in the play and would have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, exactly. And we are at rehearsal. Minkus is rehearsing as uh, as Hamlet, and Feeney is upset because he's not even facing the right way. And it turns out Minkus is trying to be very authentic, so he takes his glasses off and he's completely blind and and just doesn't know where he is. And Feeney yells at him to throw his glasses back on, and then. Minkus goes, and here we get the second accent worse than the first one. It's worse because um, it goes on for longer, and he use and he uses the word Shazam, which like I don't think Hamlet said that. I'm, like, pretty sure Shazam wasn't in the script. Shazam! <laughs> Show me what that do. <laughs> what we? What fat? With tears, I say. Yeah, he is like, Mr. Feeney, I've decided to try this with a Southern accent. And he's like saying his lines in this horrible, obnoxious Southern accent. It's just terrible. And Mr. Feeney gets so annoyed that he just like cancels rehearsal. He's like, everybody just go home. I'm done with you clowns. Right. Yeah. He's, he's fed up with this. He's regretting his decision here. So Sean goes to change out of his costume so that he and Corey can go shoot hoops. And meanwhile, Feeney's left with Corey and they both kind of come to the realization that they both didn't realize how big of an impact Corey leaving would have on this play. Corey doesn't realize, you know, he says he doesn't realize how many people were depending on him. And Feeney is kind of perplexed at this also. Yeah. I mean, Minkus is so hard to work with and so not good at his role that he's sort of making the entire cast miserable and making Feeney miserable. 
And uh, so Corey is like, well, I'll do you a solid, Mr. Feeney, and I'll come back. And Mr. Feeney's like, it's too late. Like, I'm not going to kick Minkus out of the play just because you now are done with your tantrum and you want to come back. So he says, if you want to come back, you can be a spear carrier because that's what I have open right now. And um, I think Corey in this scene agrees to, you know, he kind of realizes that he's uh, he's now got to eat his humble pie and he can come back and be a spear carrier. Yeah, Mr. Phoenix quotes, there are no small parts, only small actors, a famous quote from Konstantin Stanislavsky, a uh, famous Russian actor back in the day. And uh, that combined with the best scene of the whole episode, which is Mr. Feeney performing a little soliloquy of Hamlet, really kind of puts things in perspective for Corey. Yeah, he does a great job. He... um you know, he's like, you know, I, I wish there was a way that I could get this material to connect with uh, someone your age. And he turns off the lights and he comes out and he's doing the soliloquy of um, the ghost of Hamlet's father. And it's all spooky and Corey's like enthralled. It was really good. Yeah, exactly. Corey's back at home and he's now really worried that all of the things that he said to his dad... Uh, that his dad actually took his advice and and that uh, he's going to get his dad fired and the whole family is going to go down the hill. That's not a phrase. Uh, (laughs) I've got a feeling your whole family's going down. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Good tie-in. Yeah, no, Corey's worried that his dad is going to lose his job. And right as he, like, runs out to go stop this meeting that was already in progress, his dad walks in. Corey's like, oh my God, I have I have given my father terrible career advice. And of course, because I'm 12 years old, my dad definitely took my career advice that I gave right. him. Like, not like self-awareness, not very high on Corey's list of soft skills. But um his dad comes home and reveals that he did not get the pay increase. But he did go to the meeting and kind of like stand up to his boss a little bit. And Corey has realized that he behaved selfishly and that uh, he shouldn't have quit the play. And he's sort of like telling his parents the lesson he learned here. Honestly, I'm surprised that his parents didn't give him a really hard time about quitting the play. Yeah, this is again falling into the bucket of like letting Corey make mistakes that maybe should have just been nipped in the bud initially but they probably should have explained to him that that's not a cool thing to do obviously coming to these like lessons and learnings on your own has a bigger impact but i think they could have said Corey, you are letting people down if you leave this play you will not do this you will not be that type of person and then when Corey comes to this understanding later then it like he realizes that they were right to make him do it rather than him just like doing this and hurting everyone and coming to it after. So yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I was just very surprised because I was like, maybe they don't know because it's, if it's not like a rehearsal thing and they're doing most of it during school hours, like maybe they don't know that he quit, but, but he was like, you know, I, I made a selfish decision and it hurt other people. And Alan's like, when you quit the play and I'm like, they did know. And these jerks didn't like give him a talking to and make him go back and, be in the play like I just that's crazy but it's okay that 
Alan didn't get the pay cut reversed because he has his son's approval, which I'm sure is exactly what he was looking for. Yeah, it's a little um, it's a little anticlimactic that he doesn't like none of this actually pays off for him and that he still has his pay cut. So that kind of sucks still. Uh, they still can't go to Jersey Shore because they don't have the money to do that. But you know what they do have the money for? Building five mini golf holes in their backyard. Elaborate golf course in the backyard uh, to surprise Corey because they know he was really looking forward to the golf tournament. So they decided to build this whole elaborate setup called Corey Pines. Oh, really? I didn't see that. Yeah, there's a sign. They made like a banner hanging up on the side of the house that says Corey Pines. It did make me laugh, but uh, begs the question, they did all of this, but couldn't get him a birthday cake? Like, <laughs> Yeah, they really go, the they go all out because Corey's sad about a vacation, but on his birthday, he gets nothing. I need to reference Corey Pines as a play on Torrey Pines, which is the PGA golf course located nearest to me here in San Diego. Yeah. Is that where we went hiking that one time? Yeah, really good hiking. And then the golf course is where I volunteered. They have a tournament there every year and it's where I volunteered uh, in February and like worked on the golf course. So really beautiful. Two courses right on the water. Very pretty. Mm, Gotta watch out for those those water hazards exactly they did yeah so they do they build this whole elaborate thing Corey initially says like oh, i don't care about that anymore but then he goes outside and he's like oh yeah this is amazing i love goofy golf and it's even better because we don't have to drive three hours to get there and listen to mom's show tunes the whole time it's definitely not better but he's being a really good sport about it <laughs> yeah and so alan kind of points out one of the holes and tells him how to play it because he kind of put a new secret groove in it so that uh, they would know where to hit it. And uh, they, I mean, you got to call it what it is. It's cheating. It was, it was definitely cheating. And Alan's like, look, man, here's, here's what we do. And uh, gets Corey in on the plan. And uh, then Eric comes out and is like, you guys want to play or you just want to quit now? And Corey's like, we're not quitters. I've learned my lesson about quitting stuff. And Alan's like, huh, cheaters, yes, quitters, no. <laughs> and they have a good laugh about it. So like they 100% know that they're cheating. Yeah, I guess that's going to be a later episode when we address that cheating is also not okay. But uh... well, I think we already learned the cheating lesson because remember when he cheated on the genius, the Mensa test? Well, apparently his parents didn't care because Alan's the one leading the charge right now. <laughs> Corey Pines. <laughs> Corey Pines is good. I'm sad I missed that. True or false, this is one of the best post-credit scenes we've had. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, Minkus is doing his little thing, and meanwhile, Corey's in the background holding his spear, and he's bored. The other spear carrier that's back there is bored. Um, apparently, <laughs> apparently, there are now two spear carriers, and there are just not enough roles in this for anyone. So they're just a couple of people who just stand in the background. Yeah, man. Well, I think the spear carrier probably has a line or two throughout the play where they probably like, "Oh, here, please welcome the queen," or like some crap like that. I don't know, but um, I think for probably most of the time, they're just standing there silently holding their spears. Yes. Well, they get bored very quickly, and our boy Ryan Tomlinson, a.k.a. Spear Carrier, is talking to Corey, and they're like, man, this is so boring. Like, I want to do something. 
Like make Corey's like, yeah, man, like, you know, make this your own, like live in the moment. You can do whatever you want. And uh, so the kid goes over and he takes this advice to heart and he goes over, pops Sean's stomach right in the belly. Yeah, he uh, I think he completely misunderstood Corey's (laughs) advice. And he just like is like, well, I'm going to go ham. And he pops Sean's fake belly. And then he starts like a huge brawl on stage in the middle of the play there's an audience there so this isn't just a rehearsal and then Corey sees the chaos and he just starts spearing the other students off the stage until it's just him standing there alone with his spear and then he does a silly dance we get some like wrestlemania stuff going on here because Corey's last man standing after he knocks everyone off it's unfortunate because Sean didn't get to die, apparently, in his, his big scene. So I'm sad for him and his dad that no one got to watch him die. But yeah, funny. Corey sets off these events and then takes advantage of it. And once again, makes himself center of attention, even though that's not how it was going to play out. Yeah, I don't think Corey intended to completely derail the play, but he did. And then he speared everyone. Yeah, so, he sure did. Not the best look. Ryan Tomlinson, spear carrier. Did not go on to have a uh, huge career, but he was in the movies Meet Wally Sparks, Fearless, and One Tough Bastard, which I know you've seen all three of those. Why are you even mentioning this person's name or their career? They, literally nobody has seen any of those movies. Even the people in them haven't seen those movies. This guy hasn't done anything since 1997. I just wanted to be able to say One Tough Bastard, When a man's wife and family are murdered, he plots revenge only to find out that the killer is under federal protection and he must exact his own form of justice. Brian Bosworth is one tough bastard. Who's who's Brian Bosworth? Like, what is any of this? The Boz? You just asked the right question, my friend. Uh... (laughs) Uh, Brian Bosworth, former NFL linebacker and badass. Uh, who played for a number of different teams, and he turned this bad boy, illustrious career into somewhat of an acting career. There's a 30 for 30 on Brian Bosworth called The Boz. Definitely worth watching. He's a badass. All right, I'll take it under advisement. Appreciate it. Yeah, so anyway, that's, um, that's pretty much that. Corey is the king of the stage and ruined the entire play, so it was all for nothing anyway. Yeah, Corey really... Um... He ruined the play so many times, you know, he derailed rehearsals, he insulted the costumes, he was very rude to Mr. Feeney, he insulted Shakespeare, who is just rolling over in his grave, I'm sure, and then he quit, left them high and dry, totally made fun of Minkus the whole time, which he deserved it, so whatever, and then comes back is supposed to be humbled by the lesson that he's learned, but instead spears everyone in the back and dances on stage by himself. Has he really learned a lesson? I, I'm not sure. I'm not convinced. It doesn't matter whether he learned a lesson or not. He's going to forget it two days later anyway. So uh, it doesn't really matter. I would have liked to see a little bit of contrition is all I'm saying. A little growth. Yeah, that's fair. But it's Corey. So what can you do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, another one in the books. We've got two episodes left, just two final episodes of season one. And then, as we've mentioned previously, we'll take a little bit of a break over the summer and and come back strong, uh, hopefully in the fall. So 
That's what we got here. Instagram at Feeny Podcast. Send us a message. Did we fuck up the plot of Hamlet? Is there something that we missed? Do you have a Shakespeare theory that you'd like to share? Any of this is uh, very great to share. So please do. Yeah. And I think, Josh, you especially need to watch the Mel Gibson version of Hamlet. See if you can find that on some streaming platform because uh, you're missing out. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I'll do that. Did you notice how all of the music in the episode was like Shakespearean Elizabethan flutes and stuff? Uh, No, I didn't pay attention to the music very much. All of the like transition music between scenes was like Shakespearean. It was very funny. Interesting. So not the not the typical Boy Meets World transition music. Correct. Oh, the editor's really getting creative. Yeah, it was it was very, very on theme. All right, well, that does it for this one. We'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Get out, everybody!